Resurrection Sunday, April 17th, be a great time here together. Hope that you will join with us in that. Invite some friends to be here uh, with you as well. Uh, we won't. We don't have a practice here, by the way, of doing something massively different on Easter morning. We try to be who we are and celebrate Christ. Because if you bring your friends, we want them to come and and be who we are, not something that we're not going to be the next week. Uh, we might introduce some some more video or media than we normally do. Uh, sometimes we'll do uh, special music that we haven't normally done, but it won't be dramatically different in that way. Uh, we try to be just consistent across the Sundays throughout the year so there's no, uh, no bait and switch happening when you invite your friends to come to church. So uh, invite them to come join us. But our series actually extends to the week following Resurrection Sunday uh, as we think about this pathway of stone, I think uh, Jason referred to it last week in his message, of these different markers in the word that we hear about, the way that stones and rocks are represented in some of the biblical stories, and how they might intersect with us today, leading to, for us in our, our, our Christology, maybe the most important stones of all, which are that stone that was rolled away to reveal the cornerstone of our faith within has risen and is no longer in the grave, and that he then empowers us to become, as the scripture describes, his living stones here on the earth. So that's the course we're on. Last week, Jason shared with us about the law, shared his wonderful um, craft project of tablets that he had made. Uh, if you missed that, sorry to tell you, it was a pinnacle moment. Being on the mountain top, so to speak. No one? No one? No one likes that one? Wow. Hard to this one. All right. <laughs> We're going to move on. That's a bad joke. I'll take credit for that. So we're going to move on to the next one, which is uh, Ebenezer's. You with me? Everybody's like, we're going, we're going to Christmas here. It's not Christmas, it's Easter, Pastor, because you lost your, your way. Not that Ebenezer, not Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, some of you might recognize it from a song uh, from from long ago that still is beautiful. Uh, one of my favorite hymns, 
probably like me for a long time, especially growing up, you sang the words about having any idea what it meant, and maybe you thought it was referring to Ebenezer sort of Scrooge. I don't know what was going on in your mind, but here I raise my Ebenezer, hither to thy strength I come. What's that about? <laughs> What's that mean? Um, we actually find in Scripture, we find the word Ebenezer three whole times. Twice it refers to a place, an actual town. And then one time, the one we're going to look at today, it refers to an, uh, an action, a meaning, a, a monument, a remembrance in the life of God's people in their early days so that's where we're going to find ourselves in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Before I uh, read the story that we're going to land in this morning, let me give you a little bit of background. Prior to the events that we read about today, the Israelites have come up in battle against a group of people called the Philistines, or the Philistines, depending on which part of the country you're from. Now, you might make the connection to then future David, not yet a king, still a shepherd boy, in that great story, which, by the way, I don't know if I could find it and post it. Pastor Jason gave one of the best messages about David and Goliath that I've ever heard in my whole life, right here in this place. It was so good. I don't remember a thing about it, I just remember it was good. It's um, <laughs> not actually true, oh, but... It's not actually true, but it, it, was, it was a good joke to play out there. So um, it was really, uh, really great. And it had some perspectives I just had not heard before. And, and it impacted me. But that's the connection you might make. Is you remember, David, shepherd boy, comes basically to bring some food, you know, bring a lunch to the men as they're sitting in battle against Goliath. And Goliath is this giant of a man. And they're all cowering in their tents because they're afraid him, and then David goes out there and throws him with a stone, right? One smooth stone. He gathered a handful, put in his pocket, but only took one. Kills the lion. Same group of people. About a generation before, not quite a generation, maybe 20, 25, maybe 30 years before, and we find ourselves in the time of Samuel, who was um, given by his mother to the priest, right? Raised up. And he became really the first kind of hybrid prophet, priest, and judge of the nation of Israel. And immediately following the time of Samuel, who we'll read about today, is when the journey of the kings of Israel began. It was at this time that the people of Israel began to clamor to have a king because everyone around them had kings and they thought that was cool. Why don't we have a king? I mean, that's like keeping up with, with the Joneses. Everyone else had a king. Why don't we have a king? Samuel didn't tell them because God told Samuel, not a good idea. Tell the people they don't really want a king. But they insisted, and God said, fine, I'll give you a king. And then the things get crazy after that. But that's the story that we're in. That's, that's kind of the menu of the story that we're in. First Samuel here in chapter 7, right preceding this story today, 
the Israelites have come up in battle twice against the Philistines, and the Philistines have quit them. They've lost. Now, they've been having lots of successes. God has been moving them into the promised land and bringing them to the place that he intends for them to go and, and, and the, the regions that he intends for them to possess. But the Philistines have, have been something else. Now, it wasn't because the Philistines necessarily were so mighty, although they were. They were a mighty people, a fierce people, a fierce army. And by mathematical calculations, which this might sound familiar right now, they, they were able to overtake the Israelites. But something unexpected happens in this third story. But the reason that they were able to defeat the Israelites to begin with is because the Israelites weren't really doing the things that God was telling them to do. They began to adopt other gods and other practices and bring in uh, cultures that, it wasn't just different cultures, it was a culture that was opposed to the principles and law of God that Jason talked to us about last week. And because of that, God stepped back. He said, look, if you want to do your own thing, you can do your own thing. It's just, it's not going to turn out the way that I would have had it turn out. And so they come up against the Philistines the first time, and they get beaten, roundly beaten. They go, wow, that was lame. How do we not let that happen? They get this great idea to say, I'll tell you what, we'll take, we have the Ark of the Covenant this ornate uh, piece that God had decreed them to build, and within that are contained the thing, the Ten Commandments, the tablets of stone, some of the manna from the desert, uh, maybe the, the staff of Moses, parts of it are contained here. Don't, don't know for sure everything that was inside there, but what we do know is that this Ark of the Covenant that would be carried by the priests represented and sometimes even manifested the spirit, the presence of God, the very presence of God. And so they said, you know what we should do? We should take the ark with us into battle next time. Because I mean, come on. So they do. And they get beaten. And the Philistines take the ark. They steal it. They take it home. Now, to be fair, it doesn't turn out well for the Philistines when they take the ark home. Um, they, they sent a person to, to be in charge of it. And the first night they come back and he's, he's laying out, he's smitten in front of the ark on the ground. He's like incoherent. They think he's dead. They take him out. He revives. They're like, oh, whew, that's crazy. That was a weird thing. They go back in the next day and he's again smitten on the ground. Except now he's missing his hands and his head. So then the Philistines say, we should give this back. Right? It seems it seems bad. We'll, we'll give it back. And so they make arrangements, and they and they give it back. And then we get to First Samuel chapter seven, verse five. Then Samuel said, "Gather all of Israel at Mizpah." Now, what has has facilitated this is that in the verses right prior to this, if you go back and read them, Samuel. All these events transpire, the ark comes back, because while the ark was gone, the people were, were just bereft. The people of Israel were, were demolished, because this to them was their most important artifact, and it's still, it's still represented the, the tabernacle, which they didn't have at the time, that this was the presence of God, and to lose that was devastating. 
And so people were, I mean, people were grieving, and the priests were wailing and trying to figure out, what do we do now? And, and that served, actually, to bring the people of God back to Him and to begin to turn their attentions back to it. And so the verse that just previous to this, you see Samuel saying, okay, now that you guys are actually, like, paying attention again and putting off the things that fail and, and you're getting away from this group of people who was leading you astray and all this kind of thing, coming back to things that God says, okay, so now let's gather all of Israel at Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now remember I said Samuel was, was prophet, judge, uh, all together, right? Priest, judge, prophet, all together. Here he's serving in his role as their judge, as assigned by God, and it wasn't the kind of judge who says, um, you're going to jail or you're not going to jail. It didn't necessarily contain that, although, if we go back to the book of Exodus and Leviticus where the law is given down, Samuel would would interpret the law for the people when they had disputes, when there were problems. And he would say, this is what the law says, and this is the punishment that, that you get because that's what the law says. But in this case, when it says that he judged the people at Mizpah, it means literally that he's hearing their sins, and then he is taking them before the Lord, because that's what he said, bring them all together, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So what he's doing is he's helping the people remember and relearn what it means to live righteously, because they have been living unrighteously. And so they're, they're, they're confessing to one another and to him, well, these are the things I've done. Does this grieve God? And if it does, will you pray on my behalf and make sacrifice on my behalf? And so that's what Samuel is doing. Uh, verse 7, Now, when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So, you see what's transpiring here. Samuel has called all the people to one place, to one town. The Philistines get word with him. Oh, that seems convenient. Like, we could go in there and just take them all out at the same time and and maybe even take them captive and completely obliterate the nation of Israel. So that's what they do. They came up against Israel. And then, understandably, when the people of Israel hear that the Philistines are coming, they're frightened. Why are they frightened? Because they got the twice, even with the earth who's coming in their presence. And they have now also come to the realization that the reason they got beaten is because they weren't being obedient to God. And they're still in the process of repairing them. And it's kind of like that, I don't know exactly where we stand right now. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, verse 8, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So you go to Samuel and like, don't, don't hang up the phone. Like, if, if you're depending on self-service, Good where you are, don't move. There's a spot when I go to my house, I go down to the sewer and take a left on the arm, and if I'm on the phone with you, when I turn that corner, you're done. It's out. So I'm Samuel right here. They're saying, don't make a left on the arm. If you're 
talking to God. Don't stop. And so Samuel took a nursing lamb, the innocent of the innocent, right? Uh, an archetypal picture of Christ himself, the future lamb, the lamb of God. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole birth offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the birth offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion and they were defeated before Israel. This is amazing. This is miraculous right here. There are some other stories in the scriptures that you can go and find, and I would encourage you to do that archaeological dig on your own, where similar things happen, where God causes events to happen, where uh, there's one story where the enemy ends up killing each other because they're confused because of the work of God. There are others where uh, elemental things happen and it confuses an army. And that's what happens here. We don't know what the nature of this is, but can you imagine? You have the people of Israel, you know, common everyday folks like us who, who probably aren't going to go take up arms right at the beginning of a battle. And we're just like, ooh, what's going to happen? This great and mighty force is coming against us, and our army has gone out. They have met each other in battle. In the last two times, it's gone like fantastically poor. And it's easy, kind of like it, it's a little bit easy right now with the distance from the conflicts in our world, not just in Ukraine, but other places like uh, Myanmar, um, places in Africa that are being is torn by civil war, serious, still on fire in Syria, right? Um, places like that, it's easy to be here in, in our relative enclave of peace, our oasis of America to some degree, and not think about the gravity of those words as we say that, that the Philistines and the Israelites came together against one another in war. But in that place, sons are dying, fathers are dying, people are being hopelessly injured, their physicality is being forever challenged if they survive. Uh, the people at home are suffering from anxiety and grief. Supply lines are weird. Because they, you got to think this is fairly modern for the times. Uh, the Israelites have established trade routes and all sorts of things with all kinds of people around them. And now it's all disrupted. Does this sound familiar to, to 2022? And while I, I don't encourage any of us to get mired in, in the horror of the things around us because that can be damaging to us. I think it's equally damaging to just sort of intellectualize the things that are happening around us and forget the human cost 
the price that's being paid. And Samuel's going to, to make a reference to that in, in a manner here in just a few minutes in this text to remember that sort of thing. And so when we read these words that the, the armies came together, and, and what is the words here? The, uh, the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah. The lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And in that little phrase, we understand war has been declared and the battle is being fought. And this is why the people come to Samuel and say, don't stop praying for us. Don't stop praying. Beg God to come to our defense. We're, we have confessed, we're confessing that we have betrayed him. We've, we've wounded God with our sin because we weren't faithful. And we see that we have paid the price, not necessarily of God punishing us, but of God removing his grace from us in that moment, if you will, and allowing our enemies to overcome us because he's, we're, we've stepped ourselves away from God's protection by our own choices. And then we, we suffer the consequences. And in this case, the consequences was we've been defeated twice. Even when we thought we carried your presence with us, but we were still unfaithful in our hearts. Oh, man, catch that. As they were still, some of them, many of them, worshiping Baal instead of God Almighty. They thought they would carry the ark to God, the presence of God Jehovah with them into battle, and somehow, oh, catch that, friends. And so this is a mighty thing that happens, and it's exciting, and it's cool. But it's God showing up in the midst of terrible tragedy. Terrible pain. And by the same token of saying we don't want to dismiss that, that the gravity of that, I also don't want that to then minimize whatever you might be going through in your life. You know, your struggle, your pain, your tragedy. Like, well, I'm I'm not at war with another country. Okay. But let's not minimize that either. God tells us, Jesus tells us, you know, God in the flesh says in his very words that, that, that God considers the lilies of the field and, and the birds of the air, and he knows each and every one when it falls to the ground because it's left its breath. How much more does he care about you? So don't take this at all to mean that, that I want you to go, oh, well, okay, my problems aren't so big. That's not the context here. The context here is that when God's people are faithful, he shows up. He is with you. And if you find yourself in trouble because you're not being faithful to God, the remedy is to return to God. So, Samuel offers up this offering. The Philistines come in for the attack. Whatever the sound was, the Lord himself thundered with a mighty sound that day. I want to hear it. What was that? What was so mighty that God did that it confounded the entire army of the Philistines? 
And what did it sound like to the Israelites? Were they frightened by it too, or did they recognize it as the move of God? Was it was it God's actual thundering voice? He said in the prophet Elijah that he comes in, in a still small voice, but we also see other times where the voice of God thunders, and that's what God decides to do. Was it a shaking of the earth? Was it was it a mighty wind? I mean, if you've lived here very long enough and been through some of our Alaskan hurricanes, you have heard the wind howling down off of those mountains and rolling across the city, right? That sound is, is both magnificent and sometimes kind of terrifying. I like it. Don't particularly like the, the damage, right? Uh, Sean's my next door neighbor over here. Love you, buddy. And uh, the one that we had that was super bad. Right? Remember that? We actually had to cancel church like twice. And, uh, he helped me cut the tree down off the roof of my house that came from the neighbor's house. And then we had one in between our houses that we had to cut down. And, and uh, didn't like that, but it was fun, wasn't it? It's always, it's always fun when the chainsaws come out. But what I like is when those events happen, I have to sit in the area of my house that sort of faces where the mountains are. And if I close my eyes and it's right, it's like, it's like listening to ocean waves come down through the mountains, through those trees. You can hear it. You can hear that wind start from, from way off as it begins to rattle the trees and it gets closer and it just goes over the house. And I, I just love that, the power of that nature. And that's what I think of when I hear this. Somehow, something like that, this great, confounding sound God sends on behalf of his people. And so it says that God did that, and it threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar, which is a place which is farther away than where the Philistines had started from. What a great scene that is. And then here we are. Then Samuel, verse 12, took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. And he said, till now, the Lord has helped us. And that's an interesting phrase. It would appear that Samuel is of the perspective that even when Israel got whipped twice, God was helping them. Because he doesn't say, finally, God helped us. He says, so now God has been, that's the way, that's the, way the, the Hebrew language is structured there, God has been helping us. God has helped us all along the way. And this reminds me of the scripture where it tells us to, uh, to be rejoicing in our trials because they, they bring about perseverance, patience, strength, and faith. This is also what gives me some insight into here that when they were defeated by Israel, it wasn't necessarily the hand of God coming down in punishment and smacking the Israelites. He was actually doing something for their good, which was to try and provoke them into returning to him. It's that hard hand of discipline that, 
any of us as parents have sometimes had to dish out for, you know, guardians or the auntie when you've got the little ones older and, and uh, you're, you're playing with your friend's kids and they've left you alone for 30 minutes because they need a brain break and then you're like, well, I do with this thing. Um, but sometimes you go like, oh, you got to sit down on the couch. It's that, it's that guidance that God was giving to them and, and Samuel acknowledges it. And he counts nothing for waste. Even the losses were something that God worked out of and through until the people came back and humbled themselves before God and repented of their sins. And then, and God said, okay, good. Glad we're all on the same page. Now, let's do this thing. And here they come. And Samuel, that stone, sets up the stone, he calls it Ebenezer. And the word Ebenezer means stone of help. And that's why he said, so now the Lord has helped us. That's why he sets this stone. And it's interesting, when you think about that context, it would be easy to say that this stone is a stone of remembrance of God's victory. And it is, but it is not only that. It is a memory, it is a monument, it is a marker to all of the help that God has continued to give to his people because he loves them. Even when that help felt like chastisement and discipline, Samuel said, let's be thankful, let's remember. Even when that help didn't produce the results that in our earthly minds we thought we wanted or thought we could get by trying to drag God's presence into a sinful circumstance, and then that doesn't work out. See, that doesn't work out because God's helping to remind you that that's not where I am, that's not where I go, I go to where the righteousness is, so come with me. But that stone, that monument then, stands there for generations. It might still be there. We don't know where the stone is set up. It could still be standing as a remembrance of this truth that till now, consistently, all the way back in our history, God has helped us. Verse 13. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Now let's just put a little footnote right there. It would appear that this protection of God against the Philistines does not last forever because it says here it was limited to the days of Samuel, and then we see later under the rule of King Saul, and then the story of David and Goliath. We're back with the Philistines. Why do you think that happened? Because Saul is being disobedient to God, and therefore leading the people to be disobedient. Sometimes in our lives, when we wonder why the same old enemies keep picking up in our lives, picking at us, temptations, sins, choices, people even, 
I'm going to suggest that you turn the lens inward and consider is it because you have been pursuing that which is not of God and suffering the consequences and the remedy as I said before is to return to God. Verse 14 The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. And there was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. And then Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. And then he returned to Ramah, for his home was there and there also he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. So you see this great dividend of, of peace and prosperity and blessing of God on the people of Israel because they returned to him. And it all began at that moment. Not when they created a better army, not when they came up, came up with a better plan, uh, not when they developed a better war strategy. None of those things turned the tide. It was when they became obedient to the things of God. And then God was with them. That reminds me of the story of Moses coming out of, of Egypt and he stood at the edge of the water. And it says in the Bible uh, that as Moses' hand moved, God's hand moved. It wasn't God taking his hand and saying, do this. He told him what to do, but Moses had to, had to move. He had to take the action. God said, this is what I want you to do. Moses had to take the action. And then as Moses moved, God moved with him. Which would imply that the opposite of that is also true. Because as I move away from God, God does not move with me. I move towards God, and He is with me. If I give God elbows, He loves me. But sometimes He has to say, I don't want this for you. I'm staying. But He won't let me help you because I'm walking away from you. Come back to me. If you remain there, Enjoy this peace at all times. If you're wondering about peace, you can go back to our series on the fruit of the Spirit. What peace is about doesn't mean easy, it means uh, confidence in God no matter what's happening. And you can have that. Pursue the presence of God, pursue the things of God. Live the life. Seek His mind for you. Read your scriptures. Uh, discourse with other believers who are faithful to the cause and work of Christ. And to determine things that He these good works that He wants for you to do in your life. And, and serve Him and, and love Him and give Him honor. And in Jesus' words, 
is with you even at the end of the world is with you. That's our worship team to come and sing one last song with us together this morning.
So we'll just bring some stuff out. Uh, you can also set it up in the kitchen, just have people walk through. It'll be fine. So go grab yourself a completely healthy, wonderful, caffeine-free root beer float and make sure all the kids get one before you. 